1: H.C. Van Warmer was a well-known Methodist preacher. Robert Booth states of him, he was noted for his piety and his keen understanding of Wesleyan theology. This sermon is one that you'll have to pay close attention to because the audio is very old. It was recorded 62 years ago in 1959 at Seabreeze Camp Meeting, and it's titled, How Shall We Escape If We Neglect So Great a Salvation? I know you'll enjoy this wonderful sermon. Of that
0: has been on. I don't want to lose the fire I don't want to lose the
2: I read to you from Hebrews, the first chapter, a few uh, verses, and then going into the second. Let's not pay any attention to that chapter two division. These chapter divisions mainly put in here. And a lot of times you lose the thought. God, who at sundry times, that is, in many separate revelations, and in divers manners or in different ways, spake in times past unto the fathers by their prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by His Son, whom He appointed heir of all things, by whom also He made the world who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high, being made so much better than the angels, as he hath by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. Therefore, or since all this is true, we ought, or we must give more earnest heed to the things which we have heard. Lest at any time we should let them slip or drift by them. For the word spoken by angels was steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience received a just recompense of reward. How shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord, and was confirmed unto us by them that heard him. Now my text tonight is a question that no philosopher is able to answer. I don't care how many degrees he has or how much he knows about philosophy. He is unable to answer the question. It's a question that a man that a thousand times wiser than Solomon is unable to answer. It's a question that no scholar we're in the days when we have a lot of scholars, but there's no scholar. I care not how well qualified he is or how big he is, can answer this question. It's a question that no writer, with words dripping from his pen like golden poems, uh, he's unable to answer the question. It's a question that no orator, we got a lot of oratory today. That's one thing, I don't know anything about it. how did he I don't know how to tell you about the comet going, pulling the hair out of it and so on, but all of that, all of that cannot answer. The question my text is tonight. Then it's a question that no historian familiar with all the ages of the past he cannot answer. Then it's a question, now we're going higher, that the angels in heaven, and I say that carefully, are unable to answer. It's a question that the satanic hosts are unable to answer. It's a question that all the theologians on earth are unable to answer. It's a question that the Holy Spirit himself is unable to give you an answer. It's an answer going to the very highest that God himself cannot answer. How Are you going to escape? He didn't say if you murder. He didn't say if you commit adultery. But he simply said if you neglect and have no respect. So the translation of that is neglecting and refuse to pay attention. Oh, well, you say that's a little thing. I know. Looks like a little thing. Just neglect. Pay no attention to it. That's what some have been doing these days. Are you going to do it before this is over tonight? Continue. Now you know the Bible asks a great many big questions. It says, is anything impossible with God? There's an answer to that. What wilt thou say in the day that I shall punish thee? There's an answer to that. You remember the night I preached on that? I told you the answer. Where the man got in without the wedding garment, and he was speechless. Then you remember the Bible said, what shall it profit a man if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? There's an answer to that. Then our, my good co-worker, Brother Griffith, this afternoon uh, brought out the question, if the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? I wondered how he was going to answer it. But he answered in Second Chronicles seven fourteen. Wasn't too long ago I had a preacher say to me, Well that doesn't work, of course, when we want to do it. Amen. The foundations be destroyed, there's an answer. We'll humble ourselves. Oh, what shall the end be of them that obey not the gospel of God? Now the difference between these questions and the question of our text is seen in this. That whereas there's an answer somewhere to all the questions and others that I could have brought up tonight, there's no answer in heaven or hell or on earth. So the one that we're using tonight has a test. Now I want you to notice the unanswerable question. How shall we escape? Young fellow I was in school with years back, he said, dentist. it? As of a large practice, years ago I was up in that area in a camp meeting. My wife was with me then. He took wife and I, after some of the services down to his offices, and fixed our teeth for us. He showed me a lot about teeth, x-rays and so on. And I simply turned to him and I said, Oh, you know all about teeth apparently, and the pulling of them and the fixing of them. But tell me how. Go and escape if I neglect. And Hollis just couldn't answer. He had nothing to say. Years ago when I came back from the service shattered in body, our government finally sent me to a noted doctor in the city of Rome, New York, that he'd been a colonel in the army. He was then mayor of the city. And Dr. W. B. Reed took a liking to me and took me in his office. And so was teaching me to be a trained attendant. That was something I had no feeling for with the condition I was in. But I worked for him for over a year. and he, he and I became great friends. And I'd sit in his office at night and answer the telephone. Now, he could tell me a lot about uh, therapeutics and a lot of the different diseases and so on. I won't take time to mention. But when you got all through and we had some good talk, I'd say to him, Dr. Reed, you're a great surgeon. You know how to cut them open, put them together. You're mayor of the city. You're one of the most noted doctors in this area. Tell me how I can escape if I'm ignorant. And that great physician couldn't. Exist. I could go to electricians' laboratory, and I know some of them. And I marvel at those fellows that know how to handle these wires with high tension wires and all that stuff running through it and still keep alive. They can tell you a lot about kilowatts and amperes and so on, but there's not a one of them that can tell you how you can escape if you neglect. I'm not talking about awful sin. I'm not talking about deep sin. I'm talking about what the majority that are living, moral, clean lives are doing. And what a lot of you have done day after day and night after night in this camp. Amen. Hey I had to take college chemistry. I could get Hebrew and Greek, but college chemistry. I put it off till the last year, and I knew they'd have to graduate me, whether i make that greatness tough or not. I had an excellent teacher, Ms. Burnell. Miss Burnell seemed to know, know a lot about chemistry. I can say to Miss Vernell, you know about chemistry and these different things. But Miss Vernell, tell me her. I can escape. She doesn't tell me. I can go to the best criminal lawyer in the mouth. The man that can get a fellow by that he knows is guilty. We got a lot of those shysters in the mouth. In the underworld, they're getting a lot of those fellows by because they're brilliant and smart. And I could say to those attorneys, you got a lot of these shysters by that ought to be in the penitentiary, but you've got up there and pled their case and lied about the thing and got them by. I want you to tell me how you can get me by if I escape. If I neglect to have with all of their brilliance and everything they know, they can't tell me how. Why they don't know how? I could go to the most noted atomic scientists in America, and I want to tell you there's some tremendous things there. They're doing a lot of talking. I don't believe they'll ever carry out. First thing we know, we're like we'll have a period put to the thing. We're like it was in the days of Abel when they're putting themselves up like God in everything else and you listen to the talk of the scientists and so on today what they're going to do and how they're going to upset everything you think you're listening to the speech of the Tower of babel when god steps in and put a period there but i want to tell you they're doing some tremendous things it seems as though they almost have are the hold of the secret of the very universe you talk to some of those men that are working with this stuff that they can't see and so on and they tell you what's going on and what's happening. And you go to those men that almost have the secret of the universe, it seems. And ask them if they can tell you how you can get by if you neglect. There's not a one of them that can tell you how. Go down to the bars in perdition tonight. Go down there where Judas has been uh, for centuries and centuries. And say, Judas, have you found out yet how you're going to get out? There's not a one of them down there that can tell you how to get out. There's not a fallen angel that can tell you how they can get out. You can go right into the throne room of God himself, and I'm doing it reverently. But God can't tell you how you can escape if you neglect. Why? He's made the only way out. And if you neglect that, there is no way out. Why? The hell in the earth stand eternally opposed to each other. There's no way out. I want you to notice the character of this salvation. It said the soul great, that little adverbial soul, doesn't describe it, but it's the best that we have. It said the God's soul love. We can't understand it from that little word soul, but it's the best we have. I want you to notice the real greatness of this salvation is the messenger. Therefore, on this account, what account? The one that's speaking to you, King Griffith, Brother True Blood, myself, Brother Frank. No, in these last days, God has given us the very best messenger of all the universe that will ever come. And that is His only begotten Son that is the heir of all things. In the past, He spoke with two prophets and He spoke through different ones. But now He's speaking to us to his son in these last days, the highest revelation that will ever come. And he said, on that account, give the born earnest he. He's superior to angels. I don't know if I ought to go over that again. Because he is God's son, therefore give heed. Because he's the heir of all things, therefore give heed. Because he's made the world, therefore give heed. Because he's greater than angels, he's the highest, therefore give heed. The great, real greatness of the salvation here refers mainly to the messenger who brought it. The meanest messenger the lowest messenger. If he has a message of life for you, you ought to listen to it. I haven't any time for this business today. Get so picky about preachers. I'll tell you, I found some things out of some that looked like the least of being able to preach. They didn't have any education and stumbled and stuttered around. But if they had God on them, they had something in there for me if I'd listen to them. The meanest, the lowest messenger.
3: If Naaman
2: hadn't listened to a little servant girl, he'd have gone on in his leprosy, wouldn't he? She was a mean messenger. I mean by that a low messenger. A little servant girl. But she told him the thing that would bring him out of his leprosy. The poor leprosy came back in the city when the city was starving and told them there was abundance out there. If the people sat down, ah, they're lepers and so on. We wouldn't listen to them. They're the stars. Folks, listen to me. Let's not be so picky about what we're getting today. There's some that I don't know uh, very much as far as school's concerned, but I want to tell you they know a lot as far as God's concerned, and we'd better listen to them. Years ago, I was in the state of Indiana in a meeting when I was first starting out. I sat there in the Sunday school class and listened. When it came this man's turn to read the verse in the Sunday school quarterly, he couldn't read it. His wife would sit there and whisper it in his ear, and he'd repeat it after her. Now, Lord wouldn't do that today, but he did it. But I want to tell you, when that fellow got on his knees and began to talk to God, he had a language and a something I never saw any Ph.D. have or anything. I want to tell you, heaven began to bend and earth began to come up. Folks, we got the highest messenger. i why the great. We need to give heed. Well, the greatness of it uh, is not difficult to see why it should be called to the so great. The excellency of it is denoted by the word so great. The absence of any correlative implies it be so wondrous that its greatness cannot be expressed. It is not merely a great salvation or not even the great salvation, but the so great salvation, folks. It's a tremendous salvation. Greatness is manifold. It's great in its origin. Oh, I want you to think about that. You pray, I'm trying to hurry here and skip a lot of things. It's great in its origin. It's so great that only the wisdom of an infinite God could conceive it. And only God himself could provide for it. I want to tell you this wasn't conceived in a Sunday school class somewhere or in some convention or in some group of preachers or in some denomination or something else. It's the great that was conceived in the very heart of God Himself. And God provided it. And He made provision for it. The Christian religion declares that God... Has come down to man. Stop to think of it. God Almighty has stooped and bent down to help us. Amen. Then it's great because of the cost. I want to tell you if you will stay and study this, the life of sacrifice that Jesus made for the world. The great heart of God couldn't let us go. I want to tell you, you see the blood, the sweat, the agony, what's in there? You take and study that in the original, the death of Jesus Christ and his suffering and his sacrifice, I started to do that. And I want to tell you, I'd hardly got studied before my heart was broken and smashed when I saw what it cost God and the Son of God to make a way of escape for me. Then it's great in the evil that it pays the trauma. I want a major on that tonight. We've had a lot on that. But I want to tell you tonight what Brother Griffith was preaching to you last night about the tribulation this whole world is standing on the verge of the awfulest suffering that is ever seen. This world is right on the verge of everything breaking loose and all hell letting loose that the world has never seen. And we can wake up any morning and some things have happened. I want to tell you folks, things are on the moon today. We aren't aware of what's happening. I want to tell you, look at your weather conditions. Well, look at the things that are happening. Look what happening in Palestine. Look what's on the move. I don't want to miss this coming. And all over this country, young people say, Oh, well, if I miss the rapture, I can be saved. I was glad to hear Brother Griffith say that there was no place in there for that. And I talked with Brother Blood and Brother Griffin and I afterwards. And Brother Blood said, No, they challenged me. And said, I didn't know what I was talking about. I want to tell you, if you miss it, you miss it. There's no place for any rebel to ever find a way out of this. Oh, you say, I'll be a martyr if you won't pay the price now. You will never pay the price then. Too many already that'll take the mark of the beast. Oh, so when it comes, they put no protest now. And we're close to the mark right now on a lot of things in trade and so on. They're brainwashing us. There's one reason I wouldn't have a television in my home. I'd want to be brainwashed. You get brainwashed enough in literature and things that you read. I spend a lot of money Get some magazines and things that you can get, the Intelligence Digest, the Weekly Review, and some of those that will give you the truth. Your newspapers and your magazines give you exactly what they want you to get, and that's all you're getting. Folks, if we knew, if we only knew what some of our leaders know in our nation, and watch him break loose any moment. You wouldn't sit here and play religion. Well, I got sight right there. But it's great in the evil that it saves you from. It's great in the hell that it saves you from. Some sat right here the night I preached on hell. And said, I don't believe it. Your unbelief doesn't do away with the facts of hell. No. There's a hell. Yes. I wish I could remember what one brother told me in a poll. I think it was around 80% that were today they didn't believe in a hell. I want to tell you there's too much hell on earth here. Too much hell in our cities and all around us for me not to believe in hell. Do you mean to tell me that your idea of a loving God that allows men and women to suffer hell here and the people that are suffering the very agonies of hell in our cities and in some places tonight, do you mean to tell me that a loving God that allows that to go on will change it when you cross the line of worlds? Nonsense. If it's here, it's there. i got good news for you. You don't have to go to hell. It never was prepared for us. Thank God. It never was prepared for us. It was prepared for the devil and his angels. But if you and I are bound to go that way, there's no other place. Amen. I don't think I'm hard-hearted. I'm a stern preacher, but my heart is melted. I haven't any time to play. I haven't any time to fool. Noted preacher held a meeting in the village. I was going to tell you the preacher's name. One of our own. He's in Tucson in a veteran hospital now. Never will preach again. His girl's unsaved. I don't know whether they'll ever get in or not. They'd listen to that noted preacher in that revival at Candle Lake, Pennsylvania, and he'd get them under conviction. Then he'd get in a lot of nonsense before he got through and drive every bit of conviction off from those girls, and they walk out of there laughing and ridiculing and making fun. I don't intend you to go out of here without conviction if God will only get it on your heart by any frivolity on my part. Get Kidder's book on the pastorate. Find him there, Preacher Preach on Hell One Night. Young man, On the way from the church to where he was staying, some young people went with him. And one young man was mightily served. And walked along with this preacher, those young people, expected to get some help. And the pastor told one joke after another where the young people carried on, cut up, and came down to the forks of a road. And forty years later, That fellow was in the hospital dying in a certain city, and that preacher was in that city preaching. He called him in the hospital, called him into his bedside, and he said to him, Preacher, 40 years ago, you remember preaching on hell one night in a certain place? Oh, yes, yes. And I was in that service. Thank God. And I was mightily stirred. Thank God. He said, wait a minute. Wait a minute before you thank God. Said, do you remember I walked with you and the other young people a certain distance and we came to the fork of the road? Do you remember that I left you and made an excuse and left you and I walked down that one fork of the road? And said, there can't be a thing to it, a man that will preach his earnestly on hell, as that man did. And then afterwards, joke and fool and carry on. And he said, I raised my hand and told God there's nothing to it, and for him to never bother me again. And he said, God has never bothered me from that hour to this hour. And he said, I'm dying without God. And when I get to the judgment, I'll lay your blood there, or my blood there for required at your hand. And he was gone into eternity like that. I tell you, preachers and laymen, we haven't any time to fool. We haven't any time to play. This is a mighty salvation, but there is a hell that it will save us
3: from.
2: I remember the gospel never created the danger of hell, but it delivers us from it. The devil and his angels in their sin and rebellion made hell possible. I want to tell you the very worst form of blasphemy is not the man that said, I don't believe in any God. That's not the worst blasphemy. The worst blasphemy that I know of is holiness professors that perfect everything in the limbs of the Bible and then are disobedient to God and walk back a life and everything else. The worst, that's the worst type of blasphemy. It's a great salvation because of its all-inclusive invitation. He said, go ye into the hedges and highways and compel them to come in. Let him that here is come. Let him that is at first come. Let him that has no money come. Thank God. There's not a one of you has any excuse. It takes y'all. I don't care how deep you are in sin. I don't care how habits are fastened on you. I don't care how you're in the bondage of your locked by habits of but if you come sincerely and honestly to Him and confess, I want to tell you be ready to turn from it. You'll find a God that's able to reach down and lift you out of it and put you on your feet. Then it's great in the blessings that it raises to A full free everlasting remission of our sins to the enjoyment of the paternal favor of an infinitely powerful wise and benign Jehovah. I want to tell you to fix you right out of your sin and lift you right out of your sin and out of your habits and put you on the straight road and help you to live that you never have to be in it again. You say, how do you know? 37 years ago. My mind's trying to get my figures to switch it up. 37 years ago. Backslidden. I came out of the service. Couldn't keep out of a card game to save my life. That's one thing Uncle Sam helped me
3: in.
2: I got in Germany. it's pretty close on the front line. When I got into Germany in the hell of the army of occupation, I got some habits on me cigarette habits and the gambling habits. And I'll tell you, I always feel like taking time off thanking God. Only one out of thousands ever get out of the gambling. Amen. I couldn't keep out of a card game to save my life. Well, I want to tell you one night I got down on my knees. I looked up to the one I'm talking to you about, found out what I'm preaching about tonight, and he looked down at me and said, son, you'll never have to play another card game. You'll never have to smoke another cigarette. You'll never have to go to the theater again. And a lot of others, and I haven't done it for 37 years. Thank God it's a salvation. It'll lift you right out of the thing. Amen! I didn't have a church to help me or anybody else to help me. And my father and mother thought I'd gone crazy. You get old time religion and refuse to support a church that has a Masonic order manism as, as a preacher and the suppers in the basement and all the rest of it. God save me until I said I won't support any of that business or have anything to do with it. I didn't have anybody stand with me but God. I'll tell you, He'll stand with you. Thanks, God. <laughs> Amen. You remember Paul said they all of me. But he said, how me if He stood beside me and just poured strength into me. Quit your mumbling about nobody going with you, that you have to go alone. You don't have to go alone. All the universe of heaven will go with you, and God will go with you, and Christ will go with you. The devil has no happy old people. You know that? One thing that makes me realize this is more real than anything. My hair is getting gray and I'm getting older. But I tell you, i never felt him like I've felt him the last few years. Amen! doesn't make any difference how old you get. You don't have to get grouchy and disagreeable and contemptible to get along with when you get old. Hang on! doesn't have any happy old people. <laughs> I think of a man for 16 years lay up his bed, up on his bed in the direst suffering and yet he said, I reckon I'm about the happiest man in world." <laughs> years ago, Brother Norman, remember, noted preacher in Buffalo had a big tabernacle there. Everything's gone out of existence now because it failed God. But I want to tell you, there's a day when that was a tremendous lighthouse in the city of Buffalo. He said a man, a blind man had lost his wife. And he said, I spent several hours studying scripture, getting it in my mind to go over and visit that man. He said, I made the call, walked into a room where the plaster was falling off from the walls and there wasn't hardly a whole piece of furniture in the house. And he lay on a pallet uh, that wasn't very clean and wasn't very much and his sightless eyes turned to the wall, and he said, I stepped in and called him my name and told him who I was. And he said, he turned those sightless eyes to me and began to tell him how God had picked, picked him up since his wife had died, how God had taken care of him since his wife had gone. I had no one to take care of him and what God meant to him. And that fellow never got a chance to give a package of Scripture that he's so casually I've memorized. He said, when I walked out of there after prayer, I went down through the streets of Buffalo, my knees almost ahead of my chin. Amen! I tell you, folks, you got Jesus Christ, and you have all the happiness you need. Amen. <laughs> a noted man tells about noticing in a paper that one of these phrenologists, you know what they are, huh? was in the city. And so he thought he'd go, but you know, it's one of these fellows seals the bumps in your head and tells you what kind of a person you are.
3: <laughs>
2: so he said, I visited it, and the fellow said that night, now tomorrow night, I want a volunteer from the, from the audience, and I'll tell them the kind of a person they are. This man said, this Dr. Savage, he said, I knew a fellow, a friend of mine, that had every mark of the lowest type of criminal, a low forehead, heavy lids, heavy thick neck, and he was a rather unlikely looking man. So I made him a visit and asked him if he'd go to the lecture with me the next night, and he said he would. He said, I asked him if he'd be the victim, and he said he would. Amen. And the phrenologist called for a volunteer. And this fellow rose and started, oh, they said that lecture's face turned all kinds of colors and everything else when he saw that man with every mark of one of the lowest type of criminals. And he sat down in the chair and the fellow kind of shaking, got his fingers on his head and he kind of gently said, you're a cruel man, aren't you? He said, yes. And then he kept building up, and building up, and building up, the type of a man that he would have been. And when he got ready to give him the knockout blow, he said those old big lips were quivering, and the tears were rolling down his cheeks, and the phrenologist for that time had courage. And he said, Sir, if you had what you'd ought to have, you'd be in the penitentiary. You're a criminal. And the old fellow couldn't stand it any longer. He rose to his feet where the tears were rolling and said, people, what that man just said would be true if it hadn't been for the fact that Jesus Christ got ahead of the whole business and he saved me from all that he's been talking about. I'm a Christian and he's a member of the church. And he was a sheriff and had the keys of the county jail in his pocket and was a respected citizen of that place. I want to tell you, the fire fell. Amen. That criminologist call him what he would have been, but Jesus Christ got in there
3: ahead of him. <laughs> amen.
2: Well, Amen. Some years ago, in one of the back state mining towns in Colorado, there came an infidel to that town. He called the people together in the only civic hall in the place, and he lectured to them five nights on atheism and infidelity. And then he brought to bear every devilish subjective, uh, or subtle argument that those brainy fellows can bring. And when he gave his last lecture, and God through with it. He tore the Bible into in pieces as he thought into threads. He denied God, denied cause. Christ mocked the church, ridiculed preachers, laughed at the Christians. And he said, I've knocked off your shackles. I've knocked off your fetters. You're free now. There is no God. Go ahead and do as you please. Christianity is a myth. When he said that on old hard-fisted callous-handed miner arose and said, Sir, may I say something? Well, he said, you may. He said, you know I don't know what you mean, mister, by that word miss. Will you let me say a word about it? He said, all right, brother, fire away. He said, mister, I haven't got your education. You're, you're a good talker. I can't use the language you use." I don't know some of the words that you've used, but I've heard you every night, and you're sure a good talker. But I want to tell you something. Five years ago, I was a drunkard, a gambler, and worse than that. I beat my wife. I abused my children. I couldn't hold a job for a month straight. Nobody had any confidence in me. There came into this town a youngest fellow. He made a lot of mistakes in his grammar. He didn't have the language that you have. He couldn't soar like you could, but he stood on the same platform where you stood and told us about a Christ that could lift us out of our drunkenness and our gambling. A mister, I went forward five years ago, and that man came into my heart and into my life. I've no longer been a drunkard. I've no longer gambled. I've no longer beat my family. Mister, I don't know what you mean by myth, but if that's what it is, I want you to know that's what I've got. I believe in the myth. Amen! Amen! <laughs> oh, if I weren't tied to this thing, I'd take off. I've
3: got
2: it. Amen, folks! There's something to salvation. Jesus Christ is real. I don't care what you're seeing is. I don't care how deep you are. A man named Henry Millan lay in a ward of Bellevue Hospital in New York City and a doctor said to the group of students, we've discovered in this man all the marked indications of an incurable. Notice, he said to him, "No the dancing eyes. Note the trembling of the hands and the other members of his body. This man can never be cured. He must die as he has lived, a drunkard. Nothing can save him. And Sign Hall of the Salvation Army got a hold of that man and got him into the Salvation Army Hall. That's where the Salvation Army had some.
3: They're
2: in the same condition the churches are now. Amen. And Sein Hall got him in the hall. And that man saw drunkards and dope and everybody else getting saved. And he stumbled up there and knelt down there. And that fellow for 19 years lived without drinking. And he said, if I had drank again, I'd have to learn the habit all over. I've lost all taste for it for these 19 years. A doctor said he's incurable. A doctor said, man, look at him. Look at his hands. Look at the dance in his eye. He's incurable. Science can do nothing. Thank God there's something that can do something when science and psychology and all the rest of the stuff isn't able to do a thing. What do you say? We stay with Jesus Christ and draw Him and lift Him up. He's the only one that can change your life. He's the only one that can take the habit of you. I've been to your Street meeting tonight, but I heard some of it. I was busy getting ready for tonight. Years ago, we had a street meeting. I mean your ring. Years ago, we had a ring meeting right outside of a church. Our church in those days had to find the glory there. I don't know how many preachers they sent out of that church. They haven't sent any out for years. Got the fussing. She died. Just still dead. I'll tell you, I had a convention there. I've seen them run out of that church under the anointing of God and shout and run up and down the street. Oh, you say, I wouldn't have that. Well, I'd rather do that than carry a, make a fool of myself over a little, a little piece of leather pumped up with some air. When it drops through a hook somewhere, they go a-whooping over it. But thank God, there's something to get excited about. Yeah. Amen. Yeah.
3: You say, I don't
2: believe in emotion. Now, well, listen to political rallies. It'll be coming a little while. Then listen to the whooping, ha-ha. <laughs> I tell you, we got something to hoop it up about, thank God. Amen. When you say preaching the first of this camp meeting, you were hard on us. Sure I was. I didn't believe in some of that that was going on there. There There's some of that that wasn't real. But what we've had for quite a while here has been as real as real can be. Amen. And if there's anything against me, it's that that isn't real. Those that try to carry on will never carry a burden. Folks, this comes after the burden has been carried, after we've gone down. When you come up, but the trouble is we want to be up all the time. Now, where was I? Oh, I was on that fellow, wasn't I? Right beside our little church there was the saloon. Couldn't get rid of it. When the state's in the liquor business, you can't do much with it. Hell don't all die. Our nation's in the liquor business. Amen. You can't do much about it. I want to tell you somebody can do something about it. Amen. You ever try to play those, play those places out of business and then be surprised when you walk by and saw them closed up? Huh? Thank God. I went out of business in Titusville. I walked by every day when I was home. I'd walk by them, and pray for God to do something. You know, I went by there, and that thing, it burned about down. They tried to put it back, and they couldn't put it back. Build a little shack there, they can't even keep that a-going. I have a time every time I go by. Amen. You couldn't get it out by legislature. Amen. Well, I'm off the track here. I better come back. I'll never forget this fellow standing right across the street and waving his arms and a hollering and shouting and praising God until they could hear him in there. He said, You know, I spent thousands and thousands of dollars down there. But he said, I think this two years before God had saved him from the thing, and I want to tell you he went on having a time. He said they don't get my paychecks anymore and what a time he had. Amen. It's the only thing that'll help you in the hour of trouble. I tell you, it's been worth being a Christian. These eight years of my wife being sick come to the end many a time, but I tell you, just walk right in that room with me. Just let me know what to do. Hey Amen. I think of, who was it, George Matheson, when he was a student in one of the universities. In Scotland, I think he was a brilliant theologian. Had a brilliant career ahead of him. A brilliant student had a little eye trouble and went to the doctor, and the doctor said, George, if there's anyone that you want to see, let me tell you some folks, there's some of these songs we sing so ghibli. Yes. We'd better stop and think what we're singing. We'd better stop and think what it cost the individual that wrote that song. He said, George, bad news for you. If there's anybody you want to see, you better get them in three days. You'll be totally blind. He sent word to the girl that he was engaged to. You better find out before you get hooked up to them. A lot of folks we can't help, but I want to help our young people. Remember, young people, this isn't something jumping in and out whenever you want it. No. Amen. Now drive down. And he wrote her and said, the doctor told me I'm going blind. If there's anybody that I want to see, I should get in touch with them. He said, you know, you and I are engaged. We're to be married. I want you to come. I want to see how you look before I go blind. But after I'm blind, I'll know just how you look. She wrote back. It was bad enough to go blind. She wrote back and said, George, if you're going to be blind, our engagement is broken now. I don't want to be tied up to anybody that's blind. You say, how did you affect him? Notice, all oh, love, that will not let me go. I rest my weary soul in thee. I give thee back the life I owe, that in thine ocean depths, its flow may richer full of thee. Oh joy that seeketh me through pain, I cannot close my heart to thee. I trace the rainbow through the rain, and feel the promise is not in vain. That morn shall cheerless be. Don't you ever sing that song like this? By Stafford, you remember, that wrote that song. Oh, just slipped my mind there. What is that song we sing? It's well with my soul. Oh, what it cost Stafford to write that. Put his wife and two beautiful daughters on the vessel. And then the vessel was struck in the middle of the ocean and went down. And his two daughters went down. His wife got to London wired back and said, George, I'm safe, but alone. What did he do? Go in the dumps and lose God. No, he wrote that song. It is well with my soul. There's nothing under God's heaven that can give you peace like that but Jesus Christ. I want you to notice, and I'll have to get through here, the common danger our common danger. What is it? Neglect. Trace that word down. i tell you i a surprised. You get a surprise you trace some of these words once in a while. In Matthew 22, 5, is the same word used. When the king gave a feast and he asked certain ones to come, they began to excuse themselves. They had this to do. They had to go here. They had something else to do. And the word there means they made light of the invitation. The word neglect here traced it down means that in the neglecting, you make light. Here's the invitation. God's calling you. You know what He can do. You make light of it. Don't you think it's a little thing to neglect? Primarily, this text isn't to the sinner. This text is to the Christian. All you got to do is neglect your secret prayer. Neglect your Bible reading. Neglect your church attendance. Neglect your prayer meeting. And the next thing you know, something's happening to you. Neglect your mind! I'll tell you, I find this, I'm getting older, I can't stop studying... And just rest and go along. I'm working harder now than I did when I was younger. I'm studying things that I didn't then. I want to work this mind of mine. I want to keep it active. I want to keep it alert. I don't want to neglect it. Neglect your mind. Deteriorate. Neglect your body. Deteriorate. decay. Neglect. A number of years ago up in the Adirondack Mountains at Long Lake, New York, Brother Kopp, was like a brother to me, he and I were traveling together like Brother Norman Ted Bartlett traveled together. The preacher said to me, he said, would you and Brother Kopp like to go out and see a man that used to be one of the great preachers in the National Holiness Movement? We went out there There he was getting his summer resort ready to break God's day. There he was living with one he no business to live with. I'll tell you, when I was introduced to that man, he was about six foot three or four, snow white hair, big bushy hair. When I was introduced to him, he walked right up to me and grabbed me by the hand, put his foot up and looked me right in the most piercing eye that I've ever looked in. I thought, well, I'm not living like you are. You're not going to look me down. So I grabbed his hand a little firmer and shoved my foot up against it and looked him right in the eye until he dropped his head. When we got in the car and started away, he was no more interested in that revival meeting than anything in this world. And there one time was one of the most noted preachers in the National Holiness Movement. had preached to some of the largest congregations, had had some of the greatest altar services. I was sitting on the back seat of the car. Brother Cop was sitting on the front of Brother Chapman. And we would got a little ways, and Brother Chapman turned around and said to me, Brother Van Wormer, what do you think of it? I said, Brother Chapman, I'm not thinking of him. I was bawling with all my mind. I've been saying to God, Lord, if you ever see the day, that <laughs> 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 this man will ever backslide like that. And somebody will take somebody preach around and point me out like they pointed that man out to me and tell him what I used to do. <laughs> I want the Lord to take me home to heaven before that ever happened. Folks, I mean that with all my heart. I don't want to fail. I don't want to miss it. What did he do? He got popular. And he got popular with the crowd. And he got to pleasing the crowd. Look at the preachers tonight. They are pleasing the crowd. And preaching to please them. I don't believe any of us who preach to please anybody here. But God, that's what I'm trying to do. To please God. I'm going away from this damn meeting, knowing that I shut my, myself in my room and I fasted as much as I'm able and I prayed in the night hours. As far as I know, I'm going away from here clear of the blood of every man. I, I was here on a vacation, but I didn't make it a vacation. I was here to do business for yeah.
3: God. Has a message to the
2: un- and I'll just briefly touch this to the one that says, no, not tonight, tomorrow. Listen, he's not talking about murder. He's not talking about adultery. He's not talking about fever or any of that. He's talking about good, moral, clean, living men and women and boys and girls that just stood here day after day, service after service, never did one thing and never criticized Brother Griffith or Brother Trueblood or myself or Brother Prince in a way you've gone along with the thing but you just stood there and made light of it. Now I mean that in the deeper sense. I don't mean that you stood there and laughed and ridiculed but when you neglect you make light. Oh, that isn't right to yourself. I'm not enlarging on that. You owe it to yourself to get the very best out of life. And that isn't selfishness either. And the best out of life is to find Christ and eternal life. And you are to yourself to find that. It isn't right to lose your soul. It isn't right to your loved ones. You've got an influence. What about that influence? I hope the Lord will let me preach that message on influence. I'll tell you, I got encouraged. I preached it for the first time, I guess, at Cincinnati at the convention. A girl in there, preacher's daughter, just a rebel. I thought that girl never makes the grade. Her father told me a little while ago, he said my daughter was in there. She heard the message on influence, saw what her influence was on others, and that girl has yielded to God. And walking with God. Why? She saw the influence. That's another reason I couldn't get a TV. I think too much of my influence.
3: What about your
2: influence? Folks, it isn't safe. It isn't safe. I expect to get on the plane to go back home Tuesday. There have been a lot of crashes on the plane. I may never make it home. But if I don't, I'll be in another home. It's all settled. Everything is fixed. Folks, it isn't safe. It isn't safe for some of you to go out of here tonight and let this camp meeting close. I believe this Brother Robertson, CA here. My good vice president told a number of years ago, I think he's holding meetings at Steel. This young couple one night stood and shook like a leaf. They said, tomorrow night, if we feel like this. Now, can you understand that? Huh? That's a puzzle to me. Stand there and shake like an aspen leaf in sweat. And say, tomorrow night. I that right, Brother Robert? Tomorrow night, if we feel like this, we'll come to an altar. There was no tomorrow night. As they're coming out of Youngsville or going to Youngsville, there's a railroad track there. They stopped their car for the coming oncoming train. Nobody knows what happened. That car started and got on the track the same time the engine hit. They picked them up in D.C. They picked them up in Boston. They said, if we feel like this tomorrow night. There was no tomorrow night. Brother Robertson will bear me out on this. When I first went into the work, I'm in now as president of the conference. We just moved enough stuff in Titusville that I could stay all night. I'd had a dedication of our Greenwood Church. Brother Saunders said, Will you stay tonight? We got another one to preach, but we'd be glad to have you stay. God saying, Go to Titusville, go to Titusville. You can stay there all night. I want you to preach there tonight. I drove clear across country to Titusdale. They were having their old fashioned class meeting. I went in and sat behind Brother Robertson. He turned around to me and said, Brother Van Wilmer, you got to will you preach tonight? I said, Don't you have a message? If God is asking you to do it, you can feel safe, attested to the limit. He said yes, and turned around. The devil said, Ah. You thought, God wanted you over here tonight, didn't you? He? And he's give me a writing. And Brother Robertson turned around me and said, God sent you here tonight, didn't he? You have a message, don't you? I said, I think I do. I had one burning like fire. What? The three appointments of man. I got up there and preached as hard as I knew how. There were 19 came to the altar. I can remember them. I counted them one by one. I said, folks, there are 19 here at this altar, but there's somebody here God sent me for that's not here. Now I said, there are 19 here, but there's somebody here God sent me clear across country to preach tonight that's not here. And they didn't come. The devil wrote the light out of me for that statement. I'll never forget the day Brother Robertson came up, bounding up into my apartment and said, Brother, that woman, you know what you said It's Sunday night? There's a man in there that never went to church. Hadn't been in for years. Is that right? Yeah. And I held his life up to him. And I didn't know a thing about it. If Brother Robertson had preached what I preached and said what I'd have said, well, he said, Brother Robertson just taking it out on But I didn't know him. I don't know him now. And that man was burned to death on a leaf right after that. folks. Oh, okay. And I meet him at the judgment, the Lord may call me over and say, did I call you from Greenwood to go over to Titusville on a certain night? Yes, sir. Did I tell you to preach a message on the three appointments of man that night? Yes, sir. Did you do it? I did to the best of my ability in the help of God. Was this man there? He certainly was. Did I tell you to count them at the altar and you counted them? I said, I did. Did I tell you the one that I sent you for wasn't there, I'd have to say it it is. And the man, and out without God, why neglect? Neglect. Neglect. Folks, the majority of people are not lost because of some big sin, but neglect. Now I realize it's late, and we've had a good altar service this morning, and a powerful message this afternoon. But well, now let's hold it. I
0: don't want to take for granted the heritage of holiness that has been passed on. I don't want to lose the i oh.